0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we ask that you'd speak to us through your word. May we hear from and respond to you on the second week of Easter. And may we continue to consider and to think about what it means that your son has been risen from the dead. We ask this all in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. So one question that a lot of people consider and maybe don't say, and a lot of other people consider and then have strong opinions about, is what this is. Right? We've got them all over. We have, we have this one. We have ones that look like this. There's a one up here that's very big. Right, this is the Bible, right? And in the Bible, there's all these different smaller books, and the books are written over a long period of time. And there's poetry, and there's war stories, and there's creation stories, and there's stories about people who uh, experience miracles. And there's stories about all sorts of things. There's letters. There's prophecy. So what is the Bible? That's an interesting question and we could spend many, many weeks on that question. So maybe a better question for today is, well, what is the New Testament? The New Testament is the, books of, the book of writings compiled by the early Christians. There's a lot of interesting opinions about people have about how that happened. But basically what happened was people were writing to churches and people wrote stories about Jesus. And what happened was churches around the uh, Mid- Middle Eastern area, so Turkey and Jerusalem, they started to pass these, these different letters around and they had these different stories. And they became used around the churches. And eventually, around three or 400 years after Jesus had left there was this this compilation of texts that became known as the New Testament. And within that compilation, there was four what's called Gospels, or four versions or four retellings of the good news. The good news according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. These stories about Jesus. So we have four Gospels. Have you ever wondered why we have four? I mean, people will have these different answers that are interesting and creative. Um, but what we're going to see today is we have four because we're being given Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, the 12 that he chose to follow him most closely. And he gave uninhibited access to his life. What we see is four of them, or people who were closely associated with them, decided to write down the stories that they heard about Jesus. So today we look at the story written by the Apostle John, who is one of Jesus' closest associates. One of the people who Jesus... Was the most trusted and intimate with, shared more things than anyone else with John and a couple other of his disciples. So, if you want to take out your Bible, or if you want to take out the Pew Bible, or if you have some sort of electronic device, however you read the Bible, I want you to take it out and I want you to turn to John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. So, in the Pew Bible, that is page 945. John chapter 20. Verse 19 is where we're going to start. And as we go, be thinking about, well, this is a gospel account. This is a story from one of Jesus' closest disciples. So let that inform how we look at this story today. So this is how John starts chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the leader, Jewish leaders, all right, we're going to stop there before we go and see what happens. We have these sentences or these lines, and they're describing the situation for us. So we need to, to, to be good readers of the Bible and be like, I wonder what is happening in this situation. On, so we know it's evening on the first day of the week. Well, what happened before this? Well, if you have your Bible and you look, we don't have to go back. Even out of the chapter 20, to see that at the beginning of chapter 20, if you were at the sunrise service, we read this passage. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and finds it empty. And she doesn't even look in, at least the way John tells the story, she doesn't even look in. She turns around and goes to the disciples. And she tells them the tomb is empty. And she assumes that someone has stolen the body. So a couple of Jesus' disciples, Peter, and we're told the disciple whom Jesus loves, who most scholars think is John, the author, go to the tomb. And they find the tomb empty. Now they go into the tomb and see it empty. And Mary Magdalene must have followed them back to the tomb. Because if we look at verse 11 and onward, Mary's the only one there. But while she's there... She eventually encounters Jesus. So she sees Jesus, and what she does is she goes and tells the disciples. So this was all, if we look on chapter 20, verse 1, early on the first day of the week. So Sunday, and now we see on the evening of that first day of the week, it's the same day in the evening. So the disciples have gone from thinking Jesus is dead to finding out the tomb's empty to one of their... Mary, who is not one of the twelve disciples, but would have been a very close disciple and follower of Jesus, just on the outside of the twelve, she was almost on par with them. But she was a woman, and she says, well, I've seen Jesus. So now they're faced with this, this reality, well, is Jesus back? And for whatever reason, they're together, they're not looking for Jesus, and they have the doors locked because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders, which tells me that either they're afraid that they're going to be accused of stealing the body, or they're afraid that the word's going to get out and they don't know what's going to happen, or they're just terrified because the body's gone and Jesus has just been crucified and like, well, maybe we're next. Maybe this thing isn't over with Jesus. So all of this is going on and this is what happens next. Next. Continuing in verse 19. So with the doors locked in fear the Jewish leaders, this is what happens. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So Jesus, able to apparently walk through locked doors which is an interesting thing that we could talk about, but we're not going to talk about now. So if you want to get coffee sometime, you feel free. We can talk about that. But Jesus shows up amongst his disciples. And what he does right away is he greets them. He says, peace be with you. Just a typical Jewish greeting, like we might say hello or hi or how are you doing. And he goes right to showing them the proof that he is the same Jesus. So he shows them his hands, or more likely his wrists, where the nails would have been put in. And he shows them his side. If you remember, he was stabbed in the side by a sword to see if he was dead. So he has this, I mean, this is a gaping wound. It would have been not your just little cut. So Jesus shows them his wounds. So this is important now, um... The person who I go to for most of my first century historical information is a scholar by the name of Craig Keener. He's written a big old book just on New Testament um, historical cultural analysis of every verse of the New Testament. So I go there, and if I need to go further, I might look at something else. But this is what Craig Keener says. He says that wounds were sometimes used as evidence in the court so in a sense, seeing the wounds is evidence that Jesus was the same person. And these wounds would have, been, it would have been something that could have held up in court. And also, scars were used to identify people. They could be used to identify people. Just like today, we might about identify someone by a scar. Same in the first century. So Jesus is telling his disciples, look, I am the same Jesus who you saw on the cross. So the response the disciples have is they're overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So this is important. Remember, we're reading John's account of what happened. He saw with his own eyes Jesus. His disciples saw with their own eyes Jesus. Close enough to be able to confirm, yes, I saw the holes. I saw the the wound where where the sword was stabbed. They didn't see him from a distance. This wasn't some sort of just encounter with some sort of spiritual um, 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 spirit. The body was still damaged. But Jesus' visit is not just social. This is what he says, continue to verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, in the Father, or peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So Jesus does this odd thing where he like breathes on his disciples. But what he's doing is he's passing on to them the work that has been given to him. He said, I was sent by my father into the world to do the work of the kingdom. And now I am passing that baton to you. If this is a relay, he's handing it off to the next leg. He's saying, your work is to do my work. You can forgive on my behalf. You can do the work I've been asked to do, and you can now do it on my behalf. So the disciples are given the role of going to proclaim the gospel and the good news and to do the work of Jesus. So this is important because what we see is that the, these 12 disciples become what we call the apostles. Which the apostles is a word in the Greek language which just means to be sent. So the apostles are disciples in the sense that they're followers of Jesus. Anyone who is a follower of Jesus is a disciple. But the apostles were sent by Jesus to do his work And to proclaim the gospel, and we'll see if you you look at the book of Acts. The apostles' role really was to go and spread the gospel and begin the church. So Jesus sends them on his behalf. But there's one disciple, one of the 12 who was missing at this point. Mary Magdalene has seen Jesus, and the disciples have, but one hasn't. Thomas. And this is what happens in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas... He's like, all right, well, you've seen him, but I haven't. He's like, I just don't think this is actually true. It's unbelievable to me that Jesus would be coming back from the dead. So we give Thomas a bad rap, right? We've even made a saying up about him, don't be a doubting Thomas. I mean, I don't know if people use that today, but it's, it's out there. You don't want to be a doubter like Thomas. But what's interesting is, so who here would Who here wouldn't find it hard to believe that a person you saw die came back to life? Let's just be honest, right? Who here wouldn't find it hard to believe? People don't come back to life. And Thomas is like, I just don't see how it's possible. What's interesting is the Bible actually shows us a story of a person who responds a person who was a close associate with Jesus, someone who had walked with him and known him intimately for around three years, and had even heard Jesus predict that his, he would die and be raised from the dead. All of that, and he still doubts. We have a story like that in the Bible. So people today, can we be surprised if they doubt? Don't be surprised if you find doubts sometimes in your life. Even one of Jesus' his disciples doubted. And if you remember last week, all of them doubted Mary until they saw Jesus themselves. So Thomas actually isn't any different than any of the rest of them. It's just they, he didn't believe the other 11 while they, the other 11 didn't believe Mary. So Thomas wants his proof. And he's going to get it. So verse 26, the story continues. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So Jesus now appears to Thomas. Well, he appears again and Thomas is present. And he wastes no time in offering to, to Thomas what he needs. He needs to touch and feel Jesus' wounds. But what's interesting is, as soon as Thomas sees Jesus, this is what he says... In verse 28, Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. So it's not even clear that he actually touched him. Now he probably did. He probably came up to him and, and looked closely. But it's almost as if he wanted to believe, but he just couldn't until he saw. And he declares that Jesus is God. So even though he's the most skeptical, or at least we paint him as the most skeptical, His response is actually the most spectacular. Because while the other disciples didn't call Jesus God, that's exactly what Thomas does. He says, you are God. Now, we should not take this lightly, okay? Because for Jewish people, there was one God. There wasn't people that were gods. Now, the Greek culture and the Romans, they would say, okay, there's such things as humans that are gods, like Hercules and other demigods as we call them in our culture they're they're like half gods or something but the jewish people didn't do this so for a jew to say that jesus is god is not something we take lightly it's something spectacular it means that whatever happened it was unexpected and beyond anything we could imagine jesus was standing before his disciples risen from the dead in a physical body they could touch they could feel they could see He wasn't a ghost, he wasn't a spirit, he wasn't some sort of vision that they were having. All those things go out the window when we talk about trying to undermine the resurrection. Because the disciples touched him. And now this is how Jesus responds to Thomas. In verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Alright, now what's interesting is that's what he says to Thomas. Thomas. That all the disciples need to see Jesus to believe. But this is what he says next. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who are those people? Presumably it's all of us. And most of Jesus' followers after the first maybe 500, there's a spot where Paul says that Jesus appeared to 500 people. At least I think that's the number. Everyone after that is going off of what other people have said and going off what they believe. But Jesus says, blessed are those who can believe without seeing. Blessed are those happy. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, imagine the best day of your life. Imagine your happiest moments I mean, think about, I don't know, sitting on the beach during a sunset. For those of you with kids or with young kids, remember sleeping before kids. That's a place to be happy. Think about the moments you've achieved a career goal, or you've made a sale, or you've been promoted. The greatest moments in your life, when you have that... Uncontrollable happiness and the glow that comes with it. That's what Jesus talks about those who are blessed when they believe without seeing. The glow that we have in our life for trusting that Jesus is the resurrected God. Do we have that glow? Do we realize that the physical resurrection of Jesus gives us something to hope for that can bring us a glow of blessing? Because we know the brokenness in our own lives. We know the brokenness in our own bodies. We know the inevitable death will go away. And Jesus says more in verse 30. Or not Jesus, but John says more. This is what John says. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So more than just the signs that John tells us about. And he says, which are not recorded in this book. He says, but these, the signs in this book, are written that you, my reader, the person who's hearing this read out loud, the person who's hearing this taught, may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John is talking to us. He's saying, I wrote my gospel that you might believe based on the faith of what I'm telling you, that Jesus resurrected from the dead, and he is the person that we've told you he is. John's saying, I understand that not everyone has the opportunity that I've had to see Jesus, to walk with him, to touch his side, and to see his hands. But he said, you can trust me, that I'm writing this so that you might believe. So what is our Bible? What at least are the Gospels? The Gospels are eyewitness testimony from the first century about what the apostles saw. John was there. He touched Jesus. He saw him, and then he wrote it down. Luke, we think, based his Gospel on Peter, Matthew was one of Jesus' closest disciples as well. And then Mark, who traveled with Paul and potentially also heard from Peter. That's what the Gospels are. So is our faith based on something empty? Or is there something we can build our faith and our trust on? Our faith in the resurrection is built upon the witness of the apostles. That's exactly what this New Testament gospels are, witnesses of the apostles. Our faith is in the resurrection is built upon the witness of the apostles. We don't believe blindly. We don't believe without reason. We trust the eyewitness testimony of people who were there in the first century, people who doubted until they saw And Jesus says, blessed are you who don't need to see and can believe. It might be unbelievable, but we're not going off of faith alone. And what I mean by that is we're not going off of trust without foundation. We have something to build our trust on, eyewitness testimony. The Gospels aren't just stories. They're eyewitness accounts. Our faith in the resurrection is built upon the witness of the apostles. So, as we enter the second week of Easter and we've proclaimed the tomb is empty, know that we don't have to go off of blind faith. To trust that the tomb is empty. Even though there's a lot of evidence outside of the witness of the apostles. To suggest that the tomb was empty. The fact that there was never a body. The fact that the, that the early movement became what it did. But on top of all that we have four separate eyewitness accounts. About Jesus and the resurrection. To trust. Our faith And the resurrection is built upon the witness of the apostles. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. And we thank you that you've given us these eyewitness accounts, these testimonies from people who saw your son and walked with your son and listened with your son and laughed with your son and cried with your son and ate. And traveled. We thank you that we can trust the Gospels as more than just stories that we have to take blindly, but that we can trust that behind them there is investigation, that there is an account and there's evidence that can be weighed. And there's evidence that can be tested. We ask that you be with us today and we be with those who can't quite grasp the resurrection. May you bring to them the clarity that there's things about the story they need to face before they can dismiss it and that they need to give it a fair shake. We ask this all in your son's name